This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined by Bazooka Joe Valtellini as we talk about a big heavyweight matchup coming up this weekend. Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis. But uh, first off, let's recap UFC 258. Let's put a bow on this thing. We got Kamaru Usman beating Gilbert Burns, retaining the championship with that stiff jab and uh, the, yep. those straight punches to offset the winging punches of Gilbert Burns. Uh, what did you think of his performance? I thought he did great. I, I still think in my mind, this fight happened, seemed like months ago. I still I know. can't believe feels, this fight was only yeah. a few days ago. Insane. Like, I'm trying to think back at the fight. I'm like, where's my memory? It, it seems like such distant well, that's, memory. That's the thing with the fight the world fight. is like, we, we have Damn. UFC 258. It's like, it's a big deal on Saturday. It's a big deal the next day on Sunday. It's a pretty big deal Monday. Yeah. And then now we're on Thursday and we're already yeah. like looking ahead to the next fight. That's, that's how it, we're conditioned now. Yeah, with fights every week, you don't really have time to really break down these fights because the next week you're already talking about the next one. So that's kind of the downfall of, uh, you know, not have, having fights every week. But I'm okay with that. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm more content with fights every week than the weeks off. So I'd rather fights be distant memory. But I kind of thought it was great. I think he showed a good technical striking. Um, I don't know if it was working with Trevor Whitman or not, but um, – I've, uh, I know Trevor Whitman is a big believer in the jab. He uses the jab really well. He teaches his fighters to use the jab. And what does Kamaro do? Come in and establish good distance, good jab, and a, a phenomenal game plan. He looked great. Yeah, switching stances, using his power hand as well towards the end. I think that really was yeah. a big factor for him. And uh, how, how much do you teach? Like, how important of a fundamental is the jab in your teaching? When you're teaching... Uh... Big. Okay. Yeah, it should be everything, to be honest. I mean, especially in MMA, like, you need to develop a jab. It's going to sound stupid to say, but, like, um, I think the, a jab, it's just the most common strike, but it's really underused and utilized really well. And guys who use it really well in MMA have great success. Like, one of the guys that we talk about, the jab, you know, George St. Pierre. Yeah, I was say GSP. He was crushing guys with GSP. Mm -hmm. GSP was crushing guys. Now we're seeing Kamaro. Like, look at when Rob Font fights. Rob Font is known as one of the most intelligent jabs in the UFC. He destroys guy with one strike, you know, and it sets things up. It keeps him at range. It's a safe strike to move in and out. So the jab is, and – Punching it on an up is a, is an underrated strike, which is really sad to say because it should be one of the most popular, but, like in a damaging way. Because look how he damaged. You can knock someone out with a four-ounce glove and a jab. You know, it's crazy. Well, I remember saying to Faraz Zahabi when uh, he came into TSN with uh, Rory McDonald, and I've told the story before. Uh, I asked him if he had watched the most recent season of The Ultimate Fighter, and he said, no, you've got to watch out for this Kamaru Usman guy. It reminds me of George St. Pierre. And yeah. it was may, might be one of the smartest predictions I've ever made, but that's where we're at. I, I honestly think that that's probably the most comparable guy to Usman is is GSP yeah. because of how well he uses the wrestling, how well he chains his wrestling, how well he's able to maintain top control, the jab, all of these different things that George St. Pierre perfected. Now Usman is like the next, the new era of that type of fighter, the, the really good tactical yeah. fighter that can beat you in a variety of ways. Yeah, I thought George kind of shot more from the outside, used more like, um, enters from the outside and where Kamara will grind you a little bit. Um, yeah, but I mean, very effective. I think George is a better striker than Kamara, maybe. I think at managing distance, you know, it's like a little bit of different style, but what the storyline, I don't know, I want to hear your take on this, but every, you know, journalist is talking about how now is the time where we're getting that comparison between Usman and GSP as the best welterweight. 
Um, is this the time where Camaro is comparable, or is GSP still the best welterweight of all time? Well, here's the thing. You've got that massive streak that Usman has, but it took him a while before he started to face really the best guys, although his resume is pretty good. Like, it's not like he was beating guys that don't have a great reputation. Like, if you start from the top, Haider Hassan, was, that was just to, to win the ultimate fighter, and Haider Hassan's a good fighter, but, I mean, I don't think a lot of people have heard that much uh, uh, about him. He was also on that uh, comeback season of the Ultimate Fighter. But then Leon Edwards is his, his first UFC win after winning the Ultimate Fighter. Of course, we know how good Leon Edwards is now. Alexander Yakovlev, I believe, is still in the UFC. So he's, a, he's uh, proven to be a guy that uh, has a lot of talent. Uh, Warley Alves, we saw him just have a big win over Munir Lezez. He's still a, a fantastic yeah. fighter, Ultimate Fighter winner in his own right. Sean Strickland, look how good Sean Strickland is now. Beat, beat Sean yeah. Strickland. Uh, knocked out Sergio Moraes, and Moraes was a, a you know a, a high high level jujitsu guy. Um, another Ultimate Fighter alum, uh, Emil Mech, win over Emil Mech. I think Emil Mech is still in the UFC as well, but I think he's battled a bunch of different injuries. Uh, then of course, then you've got the then he enters Murderer's Row. You got Demian Maya, Rafael dos Anjos, Tyron Woodley, Colby Covington. Jorge Masvidal, Gilbert Burns in succession. I mean, that's where you yeah. start to make the GSP comparisons because the difference between what he did and what GSP did is when GSP came into the UFC, I think he had a title shot in his first or second fight in the UFC. I think his first win was against Parisian, if I'm not mistaken. And Parisian, I think, was expected to beat him. Like People forget how good Caro Parisian was. Uh, he beats Caro Parisian, I believe, was his first fight. And then right from there, he's in a title shot, right? Like So this is, he's been fighting, like the George had been fighting the highest, highest level guys basically since the day he set foot in the UFC. Whereas uh, Kamaru had a bit more time to get acclimatized to the situation and, and to um, really develop into a high level fighter. And I think that one of the reasons for that is not Kamaru's fault, but uh, all of the ranked fighters ducked him. Like, uh, you know, I yeah. remember talking to him when he was coming up, and he kept saying, like, nobody wants to fight me because they don't want to put their ranking on the line. They don't want to risk their ranking because they know I'm going to beat them. And he would have beaten them, <laughs> right? So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. they, I, maybe they were smart to do that, but at the same time, that kind of stunted the uh, development of Usman, in my opinion, and also made it very difficult for him to, to get that kind of a reputation that he's earned now because he just wasn't getting the top fights. Now that he's the big dog, nobody's going to duck the champion. They all, they all want to become the champion. Yeah. Now, I mean, you hear someone like Daniel Cormier because he answered this topic and he kind of he's edging more towards Kamaru Usman because he thinks that the game has evolved quite a bit from when George St. Pierre fought like the um, some of the guys he fought weren't as well rounded as the guys today. And so I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's a little different. Uh, it's so hard to kind of compare fighters from then to now. But um, I still think GSP in my mind, to be honest, I mean, it's hard to. Um, say why he's the most dominant, but I can see why. I think maybe one or two more, and then uh, I think you might have to no choice but to put Kamaru ahead of him. Well, it's just an impossible take to to have when you're comparing eras because George St. Pierre didn't have the chance to face guys from this era. You know, what right. I mean, or develop into that person right. in the time as well. Right? So it's you have to base what people do based on how good the people they were fighting at that time is, right? Like, yeah. you know, pe people won't say. You know, oh, prime Fedor would would have would mop the floor with all the guys today because the game's changed, right? Like you, the reality is that I think if you took prime Fedor and had him face Curtis Blades, that Curtis Blades beats him ten times out of ten. Like I think I Curtis think Blades so, takes him down, and like that yeah. level of wrestling is just it's a higher level than it was back then. And that's not a knock on Fedor, but you can only judge people based on what they did during their era. For Cormier to say, well. Usman's beating guys that are better than GSP 
was back then, you you can't really make that comparison because those guys weren't around back then, yeah. right? It's not like I even think about guys like Chuck Liddell, Vanderlei Silva, like how successful would they have been with the wrestling in MMA today? Right. right. They, they, they can't just sit and swing like that anymore like they used to. You know, guys will get under them, take them down, control them, top position, pin them against the cage. Like those tactics weren't really utilized as well. Yeah. I mean, a, a prime John Jones beats a prime Chuck Liddell, ten, again, 10 times out of 10. I just. 11 out of 10. Yeah, 11 times Sleeping. out of 10. Right. But, yeah. you know, but again, you can't really compare it because Liddell. Yeah, I, I actually feel time. like Chuck Liddell over time has gotten to be underrated. Like he's he's kind of overlooked because people remember him getting knocked out in those last fights. But people yeah. have to remember Chuck Liddell was really the first superstar in American mixed martial arts. Oh well, yeah, big like time. you know, people everybody wanted to be the Iceman. Everybody had the Mohawk. They would have the Mohawk for Halloween, and yeah, you know, like yeah. Chuck was a, just a, a super. Like I think he was the first real superstar, transcendent superstar in the sport. And I don't think people give him that credit for some reason. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can think Randy Couture, but I think Chuck Liddell is a bigger name than Randy Couture. Oh, for sure, and and even yeah. Tito, like Tito, I think was kind of Tito that first was step at one point. Yeah, right? but then Chuck Liddell beat Tito all those times, and then I think he kind of got that shine. And also, he just had the look, you know, like and not, and not that Ortiz didn't with the 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 uh, shorts with the flames on them and the the dyed blonde hair. Like Ortiz had a good yeah. look too, and he he crossed over and did some WWE stuff as well, you know, like. Ortiz kind of also doesn't get that kind of credit that he deserves for being one of those kind of pioneering stars of the sport. But uh, looking at what we have today, I, I just think Usman has, you know, he, he, I think the conversation to be had is, is if, if Khabib is out of the picture, if he's retired, I think you have to say Usman's the most dominant fighter in mixed martial arts today. He's yeah, just not, he he's barely losing rounds. Yeah, I agree. But I think like what he was saying after, like put some respect on my name, it's like, He's not being, you know, classified as that, and I think that's where he's getting a little bit more frustrated. Yeah, for sure. And the funny thing is, like, if George St. Pierre was doing to guys what Usman's doing, knocking them out, how much bigger would George St. Pierre have been, right? Like, oh, yeah. I feel like yeah. for whatever reason, people, like, I've, I've posted, I posted me doing an interview with Usman in recent weeks, and people responded, like, what a boring champion. It's like, what more do you want from this guy? Like, yeah, yeah, he, what do you need? Yeah, He does everything that is required of someone to be a star. He's getting finishes. He's dominant. He's on a win streak. He's he's decent on the mic. I mean I mean I don't think that he's like a top level trash talker, but he's he's a good interview. He's a he's an engaging person. He's got a, yeah. a really good story um of overcoming odds in his life. You know, like everything that you would want from a fighter, he has. So yeah, I don't know if it's yeah. a racial divide. Like I don't want to get into that kind of you know that kind of talk, but what else is there? Like what 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 else can you point to about Usman that would would make him not as accessible as a superstar or someone else. I just don't know what it would be because, especially now with him getting finishes and with him being so dominant, you know, he gets that he was in that war with Covington. It's not like this guy is trying to take everybody down and smother them. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how he g came up in the sport. But now his striking has improved to a level where he's able to hang with a Gilbert Burns, who I think has really evolved his own striking game. So, you know, I just don't know what more people want from this guy. I just think the. Camaro now the type of champion we've seen in the past with George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva the classy the nice guy and then I just think this era of you know mixed martial arts has turned towards the the heel a little bit more they like the bad guy you get attention from going in and out of jail and these stupid like DUIs and that's what's catching a lot of attention and getting guys out there with the Connors the John Jones but to me, a champion is Kamaru Usman, well-spoken, 
gentleman, you know, classy, confident. I mean, that's what you do want in a champion. If I was to script the champion, it would be Kamaru to the T. And, I mean, this guy's also never really been in any real danger in a fight. Like, I, I would say that Burns probably hit him with the three hardest strikes that he's actually absorbed in his entire, you know, UFC okay. career in that one round, in that one first, you know. That's really the most peril he's ever been in a, in a fight. It's similar right. to when Khabib fought Michael Johnson. Like, I think that that first round against Michael Johnson, even though Khabib ended up winning that round, that might be the most trouble that Khabib's been in in a fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. And that's, that, that just goes to show how dominant these guys are, right? Like, they, they rarely get into any sort of real trouble in fights. Uh, but didn't Kobe go, wasn't it a split Kobe with him? One random judge gave it a no. He no, finished. He him finished him in the fifth. And but it was cl- tied going into that. It was, last I think round it was, a lot of people had. I think Usman. Right? I, I think, think Usman so. would have won. No, I think if you look at the scorecards, Usman was winning that fight. I think one judge yeah. had it t- even, and one judge had it, and two judges had it for Kamaru going into that last round. So, yeah. even if he would have lost that last round, I think he still would have won the fight. If I'm not mistaken, I'd have to go back and look. But yeah, yeah. the only the only he's only lost now two rounds. In his entire UFC career on all three judges' scorecards, the round yeah. to Colby, second round to Colby, and now this first round to Gilbert Burns. Yeah, I, I, what I don't like about Kamaro is the one thing I – it's defensively. Like when he took those shots, I think a lot of them look worse than they actually are. Because defense – like when he took those shots, you kind of see him kind of roll with it and kind of fold. It wasn't a confident defensive position. So, like, he gets hit and kind of moves his head awkwardly a bit where it looked like they were hurting him more than I think they actually were. So maybe that's one area if I had to really pick down uh, Kamaro is maybe looking more confident defensively because when Gilbert was throwing in that first round, I was like, oh, my God, he's catching him. But it didn't over – like, Kamaro was still coming forward, still moving. So he still had his mind under him. But, like, the way he was eating the shots didn't look favorable. But did it look like so, maybe he was rolling with the shots, like, in that in, – in, in order to absorb not, the damage not a little less? the best way. It kind of looked like he was getting hit because then even the commentator was like, oh, my God, he's hit, he's rocked. Like, is he moving? Like, I was like, he's not. Like, he still had his wits, his stance, his footwork. I just think it's – the way he rolls with it was good. It just doesn't look confident. Well, I think you the know? big it's, issue for Burns was that it was a five-round fight. Like, because it's a five-round fight, he can't empty the gas tank in the first round, and I think that would have been his best path to victory, was to really just try to go all out in that first round. Yeah, at that point, if you look back, but that's where championship fights, everyone ends up pacing themselves. They have to, because they think of the five rounds. In their whole training camp, they're like, okay, three's done, now these are the rounds. So, like, you tend to pace yourself in title fights, and that hurts a lot of these pressure aggressive fighters like if you look at my career and my fight with mark debon i'm a three-round fighter i will literally empty my tank in three rounds in one round two rounds whatever it is but five rounds like i had to play a little bit more cautious with mark debon knowing that i had to fight round four and five and i didn't put him out in the third round so that's when i had to lay off the gas a little bit and then because of that i ended up getting caught with that knee where if i was still pressuring and and fresh i don't think that knee would have landed so sometimes the five rounds really really plays with your mind if you're that gilbert burns like i'm gonna sit in mid-range and kill you kind of fighter mm-hmm. right and you just need to preserve it's about self-preservation right yeah like, because yeah. Like, had he gone all out and tried to go for that finish who knows what would have happened right but yeah. but it's also like it's an easy thing to say in hindsight, and you have to understand that Gilbert Burns wasn't putting his foot on the gas because it's a five-round fight. Like that's that's the reason why he's not able to finish Usman in the first round is because he needs to preserve himself in case the fight goes twenty-five minutes. Yeah, I mean, 
I think we didn't see the best Gilbert Burns. I thought he did great, but I still think he'll end up, honestly, probably getting another shot in the future. I think anyone else in that division is going to have a hard time, and he'll probably sit within the top three um, for a while. But, I mean, the way he's improved, the way he's progressing, like all of those matches, the Colby Covingtons, the Tyron Woodley. He fought Woodley, right, his last one, I believe, to get there. But all those fights are phenomenal for him. Yeah, I think that Burns right now might by default end up getting matched up with Colby. Uh, because now yeah. if Masvidal is going to end up on the Ultimate Fighter with Usman, Colby kind of doesn't have a dance partner. Leon Edwards still wants to fight in two we- three weeks or whatever it is. He still wants to stay on that card. I wouldn't be surprised if Burns tries to turn it around for that card, maybe fight Leon Edwards. But uh, mm-hmm. might be a little bit of an ask right now after getting knocked out. He might want to take some time. But I know he seems very eager to get back in there. You know what's crazy to me, and let me think. Let me see if you agree with this. I really think one of the hardest matchups for Kamaru, um, and I and I know he's down on the rankings a bit, but I really wouldn't mind them giving Wonder Boy a shot. Mm-hmm. He, I he, he can be, yeah. be the kryptonite to the style because you know one Wonder Boy's amazing at managing distance. He can move in and out. He's not going to sit there and let Kamaru punch him. Um, he's very hard to grapple and take down. He doesn't stay on the fence really well. Like I think Wonder Boy could possibly be the kryptonite to Usman. Yeah, since he became the champ, I've been saying that I think the worst matchup for him is Wonder Boy. And I, and I do. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of before Burns moved to the division because I thought Burns was going to be a really bad matchup for him. And I think, I think we saw with Usman not going for takedowns that Burns was kind of a bad matchup for him. Just Usman yeah. figured out how to solve that puzzle. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that being said, I mean, who's to say that Usman's not able to kind of get inside, take Thompson down and make his life miserable for five rounds? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Yeah. Because uh, I don't think yeah. that... You know, Thompson poses much of a threat off the ground, and when you don't pose much of a threat off the ground, we've seen what Usman can do to you. So uh, let's see. I, I personally think that we're going to see Leon Edwards maybe in May. If if he's not able to get an opponent for March, there just aren't a whole lot of suitors. But they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're looking up and down that division to find the Leon Edwards opponent. I mean, I mean, maybe you move a Vicente Luque over to that card or something along those lines, uh, or you, or maybe you see if Woodley will do it. But they need to find somebody to face Edwards if he wants to stay on that card. Uh, I don't believe worse luck in the UFC that guy. I know, it's unbelievable. Two years? Has it been two years? I think it's been more. Like, how have you not fought? He's been announced on ten cards, probably. Yeah. Ten different opponents. Well, he was so he was supposed to fight Woodley last year in London. The pandemic hit and they canceled that entire card. Uh, and then he's been matched up with Shemaev a bunch of times. And yeah. they keep... First, Edwards ended up with COVID-19. And then Shemaev did. And now Shemaev has these long hauler effects and... Yeah, yeah I mean, that's scary to me. It doesn't look like scary. he's recovering from it. Apparently, like, he's flying to Vegas not... to get uh, treatment in America. That's but, not good. Yeah, he's having major lung issues. If this is compromised, that this could be. I don't know if are they talking about being career ending or they don't know yet. No, I don't think they, I don't think they're there yet. But I mean, he's twenty seven years old, right? So that, that yeah. just goes but to show, he... though, that this virus it, it manifests itself differently with everybody. But it, it can be. It, yeah, I mean, if if he was in worse shape, who knows what. Yeah. That can happen to him, yeah. to him, you know. So that's yeah. uh, it's really unfortunate because I I thought this was going to be the, like a really big year for Kamzat Shemaev, and now who knows if he even fights this year. I don't even remember Edwards fighting. I, I couldn't tell you anything. It's been that long. He had that great been... performance against Rafael dos Anjos in his last fight, where he picked dos Anjos apart on the feet. Looked really good. Looked like he he was going to be kind of next in line after one more fight, and that fight just hasn't happened. And uh, I think he's right at the top of the division right now. But what can you do, right? Like. Uh, we'll see if he gets an opponent named for March. I think that uh, there are a lot of 
welterweights out there, but a lot of them are injured. Like uh, Wonderboy is nursing an injury. Kiesa is nursing an injury. Um, I think Covington is the one they wanted to make, but Covington doesn't see the upside of fighting Leon Edwards. So, I mean, we'll Kiesa, Kiesa would be fun for Usman, I feel, in the future. I think we'll see if Kiesa, Usman, uh, I think 2021, 2022. Mm-hmm. I, have, I, I think so. I genuinely feel. Yeah, well, we'll have to... Uh, We'll have to see how that one plays out, but um, I, I'm I'm eager to see who they end up matching him up with because I think Edwards just wants to get get in there and get active. Oh yeah. Um, what else uh, from that UFC 258 card should we touch upon? We got the co-main event: Grasso, Alexa Grasso defeating Macy Barber. Uh, Ooh, I was surprised Grasso at how good Grasso sharp. looked. Yeah, I was surprised at how sharp she looked in that fight because uh, I thought Macy was going to be a lot bigger. It seemed like Macy was a lot bigger, but didn't seem to make any sort of difference. Yeah. Is the is the Macy Barber hype train slow down a little bit? Does she need to pump the brakes, reestablish, and kind of build? Well, I mean, the the issue is she. I think she keeps jumping from camp to camp to camp, and that's that's a problem, right? Like, I th- I think she needs to find solid ground, and uh, I don't know if Mike Valley in Chicago is the answer, but it seems like that's where she wants to stay. So I think getting consistent training in Chicago will be good. There just aren't a lot of bodies in Chicago, and uh, it's not really known to be a, a city where. You get a lot of great fighters. I mean, I know Yair Rodriguez is out there, Juliana Pena is out there, and uh, and Macy's out there. But there aren't a ton of, you know, great camps in Chicago that are known for for putting on putting together great uh, great teams. So we'll see. Maybe this camp ends up being that with Izzy Martinez and uh, and Mike Valley. But I think that Barber does need to go back to the drawing board. I think her her chances of becoming the youngest UFC champion ever are now. You know, yeah. Too much pressure on that. I think she put so much pressure on herself. But I feel like, like she can handle it. Years old. I feel like she can handle 22. it. She's, you okay. know, Barbara is really mature for her age. Uh, she's been a martial arts instructor for like six, seven, eight years with younger kids, and she's. I asked her about like how how she is so confident in interviews because when you're young, like you're 22, doing interviews is kind of it's not really something that comes naturally. And she said, you know, I talk to parents all the time in in, mm-hmm. in the gym, and I'm I've just I've, I'm used to speaking with adults about things and you know she's just kind of an old soul in that way and i think that uh she wants to put that kind of pressure on herself she she expects excellence uh, of herself i think if she would have fought more in the first and second round like she did in the third round where she was really relentless in her attack and was using it her striking yeah. to kind of set up takedowns and things like that she would have had more success but you know coming off more than a year away coming off a major injury it's it's a lot easier said than done yeah i mean she's got that potential the style but she just needs to commit a little bit more. I just felt like she needed to get hit and then come back. Like she was a little, she didn't want to get in those exchanges. And in that kind of fight with Grasso and her nice straight punches, like you have to go to war to beat Grasso. And I didn't feel like Barber was willing to get beat up like that. But uh, she still did well. Yeah, well, we'll see if she faces next. I just, I'm not writing her off just yet. She's only 22 years old. Uh, Kelvin oh, yeah. Gastelum beats Ian Heinish. You know, th- when, when you look back at this fight, I really don't like the matchmaking because. Ian Heinish is a guy that's just really hard to look good against. Yeah, I agree. And I thought Gastelum looked great. To work. Yeah, yeah. Gastelum looked good, and, and Gastelum proved that he belongs in that top ten of the division. Uh, I'd like to see him get a step up at, for in competition in his next fight, and somebody who maybe he can look a little bit better against. Yeah. Who uh, Who would you put him against? What's happening to uh, Jared Candonier, by the way? I mean, that's where, where has he been? Well, he got injured in his last fight. He, I think, he broke his arm. He took a kick okay. from Robert Whitaker and broke his arm. Uh, but that would be a that very be good matchup. I like that. I yeah. like that. That's a good. That's good thinking, Joe. I got you. Once in a while, I come up with these good matchmaking ideas. We'll call you Joe Silva. I, what about um, 
Kevin Holland. Would you put him yet against Kevin Holland? Let's see how he did against Brunson. He's facing uh, uh, Derek Brunson, I think, in March. Soon. Soon, yeah. yeah. So if he ends up winning against Brunson, yeah, Gastelum would be a great matchup uh, for Kevin Holland. There you go. But uh, I like Gastelum Cannon here. I think that's a, a good matchup to get him kind of back uh, back in business. And uh, the type of that's fight. That's a tough fight. That's it's a tough fight, but it's the top fight. type of fight that I think Gastelum would like. Yeah, because you can grapple maybe a little bit more on that fight. For and he sure. needs to keep punching to grappling. I think what we saw him using his wrestling has to be his uh, his game. Uh, Julian Marquez with his call out after the fact of uh, Miley Cyrus. What did you think of that? And it's uh, getting ripped apart, the poor guy. I know. I, I'm with you. Call out, terrible reply. That's what terrible I'm reply. Saying. I mean, Come you have to, you have to admit it's a terrible reply. But here's the thing: she followed him on Twitter. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Like we don't know what's yeah. what's happening in the DMs. I don't think Marquez got it. Has a DM game. Let's be honest. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Peep- okay, well, I don't see him even from his post-fight interviews. I just don't think he's got a DM game. All right. Well, I don't we'll think see. he's got a DM game. But hey, he got his call out. He did work. She replied to him. He just needs to work on follow-up messages. That's mm-hmm. it. That's a game. Yeah. He got that. He got the enter. He needs his combination before he gets the exit. So, hey, listen. I mean, Miley Cyrus says shave an MC in your chest and we'll do it. And he doesn't do it. I mean, oh, ah, well, I'm on. putting MC heart. I'm putting you know. <laughs> well, Joe, you don't have chest hair. You have to like use a marker. That's it. Yeah, I'm writing it on fake tattooing. <laughs> I could shave MC into my chest with ease. Maybe that's what she liked, the hair. So maybe she won't like me. I'm too uh, Mm soft-skinned. Yeah, well, maybe maybe you're not her type. Who knows? Uh, Anthony Hernandez getting a sub over Rodolfo Vieira. That was uh, kind of the talk of the town. Seeing the the commentators geek out over that was was fun to watch. uh, Oh, yeah, I was yelling. I screamed. I was so excited. Well, here's the the thing, though. I mean... And I, I'm not a jiu-jitsu uh, whiz or anything like that or, or follow competitive jiu-jitsu all that much. But I think there's a difference between submitting Rodolfo Vieira and submitting Rodolfo Vieira after he's completely out of gas. You've beaten him up. He's got nowhere to go. I mean, I think people yeah. were surprised that Vieira tapped. But, I mean, when you have somebody that compromised, I feel like getting a submission against them is... Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a big deal. It's still Rodolfo Vieira. It's still, like, a, a, a championship-level uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner. But... I, you know, I think that Hernandez kind of earned that submission, so to speak. I mean, yeah. there was just nothing left in the tank for Vieira. It's MMA. I'm sorry. I mean, you can be a 10-time world jiu-jitsu champion. They say, you know, MMA will make a, a white belt out of a black belt. You know, you can't be grabbing and doing things when I'm punching you in your face and you're worried about certain things. It's, it's a different sport and a different game. Just like me going in there saying, you know, like, being overconfident as a kickboxer. That's kind of what yeah. he's going in, a little bit overconfident. Me going overconfident as a kickboxer, what's going to happen now is as soon as you've seen it in a million times, they're going to grapple me, take me down. I'm gassed out. I can't strike no more. Then I'm a target and I get submitted, mm-hmm. you know? But even or Gokan Saki. Out, like Gokan Saki gets yeah. knocked out by Khalil Roundtree, four-ounce gloves. It's, it's yeah. just a big difference. Yeah. It's a different game. So, I mean, uh, a world champion kickboxer can be uh, an amateur when it comes with a four-ounce glove. A world jiu-jitsu champion becomes a white belt because it's a full-packaged game that you have to have in this game now. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think that I think that when they start doing these boxing crossovers, they should allow kicks. Like, yeah, you know what? if you're going yeah. to let a mixed martial artist out of his element and he's not going to be allowed to grapple, let them throw kicks. If you were or like, elbows, clinching elbows. Yeah, clinching elbows. See, yeah, now we're talking. Even if you have the big boxing yeah. gloves on, you can still make it happen. That's it. I was. Uh, let's talk about some welterweights quick, because I want to say how much I loved uh, Bilal Muhammad's pressure, by the way. I oh, just yeah. have to make a point. His pressure fighting is 
phenomenal. I love it. I like the way he just stays out of range. I think we got a, a stud in Bilal, to be honest. I'm with you. Uh, Bilal, you know, Bilal is a guy that's hanging around the rankings right now, and I'd like to see him get a, a tougher matchup. I mean, Diego Lima is a tough matchup, as is. Like, Diego Lima doesn't go away. He's, he's always in your face, and he's always... But it seemed like Bilal Muhammad just had an answer for everything that he uh, yeah. he threw at him. 30-27s across the board. So good good for Bilal uh, Muhammad. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, why don't we move... Uh, well, I want to move on to a topic that uh, that I'm interested in, which is the, what Cub Swanson wrote online about. Uh, oh, I was yeah. going to ask you about that. 100% I wanted to pick your brain. Yeah, well, I want to pick your brain because here's the thing. I just need to preface this by saying I don't, I don't think that what Cub Swanson said is not valid. I think that, that going, like, for example, when I first got this job taking, uh, covering mixed martial arts, rather, I, I signed up for martial arts classes and I took it for two plus years. Right until we had our third kid, and then I just had no time. Like I, I couldn't work a yeah. full-time job and be a parent and focus on martial arts. But I still went and I learned, and I and I learned about technique, and I learned about the hard work that martial artists do. And I, I mean, again, my classes were, I'm not in there with professionals, right? And and for me, it was really hard because that's not something I'm used to doing. But here's the thing that I don't like about it is. When, when you say someone has to do something, and you, he, he was very broad. He said MMA media should all have to have three amateur fights before they can cover the sport. When you say that somebody doesn't have the qualifications to cover something, I feel like you're negating a lot of hard work along the way. Like, for example, when, when I was young, when you were young, Joe, you took Taekwondo. You worked tirelessly to become a kickboxer. And that was what your passion was and what you, what you put your time into. When I was a kid, yeah. I had friends over and I was interviewing them on a tape recorder. I, you know, I, when That's I went it. to university, yeah. I was volunteering at the newspaper, volunteering at the radio station. I was doing anything I could to get involved in media because that's what my passion was. That's what I wanted to do. And, Beautiful. you know, that, that included a lot of hard work. It included doing, you know, unpaid internships, uh, which was more normal at the time back uh, 10 plus years ago when I was getting into this industry. Um, so... I put in a lot of hard work to to do what I'm passionate about, which is journalism, reporting, broadcasting, all of that. I you know I put in the work. So to say somebody should have to do something to be qualified in the field they're already qualified for, I feel is somewhat short-sighted. Uh, and that's all. And that's that's the reason why I got a little bit defensive about it. And uh, you know that's fine. And I, I but I do see the merits of what Cub's saying. I do think that you know if I didn't have three kids and I had time to train properly and actually be prepared for an amateur fight then maybe maybe it's something I would consider doing when I was younger but at this yeah. stage in my life it's just not something I could do safely <laughs> you know that's, yeah. what, that's what it comes down to I could train with you Joe for 3 hours a day and uh I don't think that I could safely be you know have the tools to enter an amateur fight uh, at this yeah. age without putting myself in danger yeah I think it's like I think his comment was too general and I think like, again, like there is to fighting, like there is to anything. There, there's levels to the journalism and that kind of stuff. Like, you are also I, – I, I could feel where he's attacking people. Like, if you just decide to be like, hey, I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to talk trash about these fighters and I've never done anything. I could see where the sensitivity – and it's not like football, win or lose. Like, losing means you get knocked out. I don't want people to, like, tell me I'm going to get knocked out. Like, that doesn't feel good for me. Like – hearing predictions and people be like, oh, well, I think Valtellini's going to get knocked out in the third round. Like, like who the hell are you going to tell me I'm going to not get knocked out? Like, so I feel the sensitivity, but you also understand that's the business. Them talking about you is helping you and helping your case. But when you look at any job, whether you're the, the coach, 
you can say a lot of fighters will say to me like, oh, I won't go to a coach unless he has amateur fights. But we know some of the best coaches in the world have never fought before. Mm-hmm. So I think it's studying and analyzing the game is a key. But the two things that you do and what you said, which really stand out, I think one, you never really claim to be a professional at things. You always say, Joe, I'm not the X and O guys. Like you're not tell you're not telling people that you're an expert in the X's and O's. But you watch every fight, you talk to every single one of these guys before and after. You know, you put the time in, and like you said, you're educated. You went to school. You studied broadcasting. Your full time job is understanding the network and framework and getting people in. So, I think it's very hurtful. Just like he is kind of bashing journalists. I think it, it, it kind of, it's an attack on you almost. And I, and I feel like you answered it in a, in a good way. Um, I get what he is trying to say, but I think if you can do it respectfully, that is the most important way. Mm-hmm. And I think That's he kind of painted way. us with a broad brush, like you said. I think that if he would have said, I don't like hearing journalists analyze in-cage strategy or, or technique when they've never applied it, you know themselves. I think that's a fair thing, yeah. a fair thing to say. Like I'm not going to go and do a podcast where I talk about where I break down each fighter's technique, or I go back and say, "Hey, I'm watching Burns and I'm watching Usman, and the way that Burns mm-hmm. threw that hook, I, that's not how I would throw it. I think that you need to throw it yeah, on a 35 exactly. degree angle or something along those lines." Like, I, I, I'm just I know that I'm not qualified to do that, and I and I fully acknowledge that. And maybe if I did sign up for amateur fights and and, and took you know more martial arts classes and really worked hard towards and even the even the most. Uh, even somebody with like a brown belt in karate probably um, isn't qualified necessarily to break down no, the technique like, of a mixed martial artist. Have you fought artist. in a cage? Have you fought like right. even, even with me? Someone can say to me there, they'll be like, Joe, well, you've never fought in the UFC before. Are you telling me what to do? To, to... Cool, fair point. You know, mm-hmm. like comes far. Like I mean, so there's always a way people could do it and attack you for it and, and say things. So I don't know. It's uh, I just think it's the world. I'd rather I'd rather him change it saying. Um, all referees should have three fights. Make judges. more sense. <laughs> How about or judges? judges should have yeah. at least more fights. That is an attack yeah. um, I would support Cub with. But attacking journalists like that, I do think a lot of these guys should be a little bit more respectful mm-hmm. and these keyboard warriors and they want the clickbait. I get it. But uh, Cub Swanson, man, you're an interim champ. Uh, uh, um, he was he was fought from not interim champion, but like he's, he's been a top five level. guy. Yeah, yeah, he's been a top five guy. Like, I mean. Like, and I, mean, I respect Cub, and that's that that's respect. why I took it to yeah. heart, right? Because I respect, I think, I like Cub. I think he's a really nice guy. I actually reached out to him after the fact. I never heard back. But uh, I said, you know, like, I'd, I'd love to discuss this with you, like, off the record, just to find out what you feel like journalists could do a better job of, because I'm curious about it. I, I'd like yeah. to know what the fighters think we can do a better job at. That means something to me, and, and I I actually take uh, a lot of pride in what I do, and I and if there's something that I can do better, and that a, a fighter can tell me that I that they think I can do a better job of. I'm all ears. Like I, I yeah. am always happy to improve. I, I will not, you know, be combative about that. If they have something that they think I can do a better job at, that's totally something that I'm I'm not only open to listening to, but something I would like yeah. to listen to. That I that I would yeah. be eager to hear. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I where I left it off. And then I saw Dana White retweeted me and said uh, that he's team oh, Cubs really? wanted. He says, yeah, he's team Cubs wanted, and whatever that you know. That's fair. Whatever. Okay. He, that's good. But I, you know, we we know that Dana White doesn't think much of people in the MMA media. Doesn't you know? Doesn't really care about what we do. And I don't think he has exactly. a whole lot of respect for what we do. So yeah. we'll just leave it at that. I mean, I he hasn't he hasn't shown otherwise. Like I don't think that what I'm saying is unfair. I don't think that uh, that he has a a, a real. Um, I, I don't know if he really cares about how much work we put in. I, 
to be honest. Yeah, right? like no, I, I don't think so. Yeah, so I don't think whatever. So. I, it is what it is, and I, I do what I do, and I ask the questions that I ask, and uh, you know, sometimes he likes my questions, sometimes he doesn't. You yeah. know, let bygones be but bygones you, on that. If, if you want to be team, to the... team Cubs Swanson rather than Team Aaron Bronstetter, yeah. let's just say I'm not that's surprised. <laughs> that's it. That's it. But like, you could even I don't know. Like, I mean, it's just I get the point he made, but I just thought you did it perfect. Like, I think it was just your response, your answer was just dead on. Yeah. So, people, yeah, I like it. And people were I like, your that. fancy degrees mean nothing. It's like, well, it, here's what it means to me. It means that I put in the work. That's all. Yeah. I, there are but people... it's also to let people listen to the show. And I always say like, oh, the biggest underdog on the card. You will still tell me and stick to your point and be like, Joe, he's got a chance. You got a chance. You've never write anyone off. I'll write someone off because at least I can say it. But you will never, even on the biggest underdog, you will say, he's got a chance, Joe, but he can do this. He can do that. You never completely write anybody off. Well, who was the biggest underdog on the card last weekend? Um, Hernandez, wasn't it? And before the event started, I was on with Dan Tom, as I am you know, previewing the event. And the Vieira and Hernandez fight came up. And I saw there's there's a um, a game that a fantasy game that people do online where they they make the picks, uh, and 96% of the people picked Vieira, and I said to Dan Tom beforehand, I go, Hernandez doesn't get subbed unless he gets rocked first, and I know I go I know that this is a different level, this is Vieira, but I go Hernandez is a tough guy, so mm. I can't I can't write him off because I know that he's going to have an advantage on the feet. And if it gets to the ground, I know he's not a fish out of water. He's he's a decent ground fighter. He's a former LFA champion. It's I think LFA is the best regional promotion in North America right now. I agree. He has to beat tough guys to get there. He beat Brandon Allen, who's really good on the ground. I, I said, you can't write this guy off because we've seen him get submitted before, but usually he needs to get rocked on the feet first because he's good on the ground. And what happened? Yeah, yeah. Got taken down, stayed calm, stayed composed, didn't get subbed by one of the best submission uh, grapplers in all of MMA right now ended up getting the win. I wouldn't have predicted yeah. that he won by submission. I'm not that smart. I don't think a lot of if, <laughs> if I was, I would have bet on the 30 to one underdog. But uh, you know that uh, 31 uh, prop rather. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I I don't. You're right. I don't write these guys off because I know that on, on any given night there's a path. There's a path yeah. to victory for these guys. Um, four ounce gloves. And there is yeah, four ounce gloves. That's all it takes. And we're in the UFC. They're in the UFC, and even with Curtis Blades and Lewis, which we're going to get to in a moment, I know that Blades wins this fight more often than not. But yeah. if Lewis stuffs a couple takedowns, keeps it on the feet, we know that Derek Lewis has the power to beat anybody in this game. And you can call it a puncher's chance, and I would call it a puncher's chance in this case because I think. But Derek Lewis, when you punch like that, <laughs> a puncher's chance can <laughs> become a very good chance. Yeah, it's so crazy, too, because he'll lay on his back. He'll probably let Curtis Blade sit on top of him for a big part of the fight. And then all of a sudden, he kind of just rocks up, pops back mm -hmm. up. And you're like, how did you just lay on your back for like two, three minutes? I think he just fatigues his tired, his opponent. And then when he has a chance, he just pops yeah, up just again. Burst. Like, just pure explosion yeah, just gets like, up. Literally, you're on your back. You're taken down. You're on your back for three and a half minutes. And then you pop back up. Mm -hmm. And then the guy's so tired holding him down that that's what he gets. So it works. It's like a little bit of that Homer Simpson uh, style, you know, where like he'll really fatigue you. He's durable. He's tough. And then just explodes himself up. And I like the the Derek Lewis that's like focused on his conditioning, the little bit leaner, like – so I think he he'll have a, a a tough chance, but Curtis Blades is Curtis Blades. Yeah, that's he, a different yep. level. Mm -hmm. And he got that back surgery too, Derek Lewis, which he says has just made a massive difference for him in his career. Um, 
So I think that's all I want to touch on with the Cubs once and thing. I'm sure some people wanted to hear my opinion because of uh, my reply yeah. got so much traction for whatever reason. I didn't think it was going to get that kind of traction. It's just, uh, again, like I just think people need to value hard work regardless of where it comes from because, yeah, uh, I, I mean, here's the thing. It's really, really difficult to get to the UFC to become a, a top professional fighter, but there are a lot of journalists out there too. And it's really, really difficult to get this kind of a job covering any sport you know, at a network level for, for like a, a big network or for a big website or, you know, we, we also need to work. We're in a very competitive field too. And I know it's not physically competitive. I'm, I would never compare what I do to what a fighter does in terms of how hard it is because what fighters do, I mean, it's, there are only a handful of people in this world that would have the stones to do what fighters do. And it's, I mean, I, 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 and that's why I said, I respect Cub Swanson and anybody else who does, who dedicates their life to something because, you know there are a lot of competitive fields out there and of course in fighting we're talking about like health and life or death you know this is not an easy thing to do um so i certainly don't want to diminish that or overlook that but then again you know i don't think I, regardless of how hard i would have worked at it i don't think that i have the physical gifts to, to have been a top level mixed martial artist who knows maybe maybe if i would have put my mind to it uh, but i doubt it uh so this card blades lewis blades a minus 430 favorite Derek lewis plus 345 um, we kind of just touched on this, but I think Blades is probably going to just implement a very wrestling-heavy game plan and try to keep this on the ground for as long as possible. Yeah, I, that's how I see it going. I mean, I don't even see Lewis being able to get any of those big shots off. I know he's got that puncher's chance, but I think Blades is too smart. He's game plan focused. He puts you in situations where he knows he dominates. I just think he brings a, a full IQ game, and he's not going to let Lewis just sit there and tee off on him. Right, yeah. And, I mean, even if Lewis is able to get a shot or two off, he'll just shoot yeah. for the takedown. He's going go to go Get underneath, legs. and you're gone. I love how Blades is just go. so unabashed about it, too. Blades is not. Blades is never going to be like, I think I can hang with Lewis on the feet. He's like, no, I, my best game plan is to just wrestle. Nobody's as good of a wrestler as I am in heavyweight, and... Yeah. Why? Why would I not do that? It's my best path to victory, right? So, I like that. Yeah. He's... A lot of times, guys want to do the opposite too much. Like, why? Like a Khabib. Like Khabib sometimes wanted to test the striking, but when he wanted to, he just took you down and beat you. Like yeah. that's how Curtis Blaze got to do. Stick to what he's good at. Don't try to become a striker. You know, like be a dominant wrestler, and that's yeah. how I think his path to the the title is. And when I spoke to him uh, this week. You know, he said that's the kind of thing you can do in lighter weight classes where if you want to test your striking or you want to keep it on the feet for a little bit, it's fine. But at heavyweight, these guys hit so hard that, you know, he's all if you if you are not able to stop his takedown, he's going to take you down. That's basically his strategy. If you yeah. can stop the takedown, he'll hang, he'll try to hang with you on the feet. I asked him where he thought his striking was at because I, I spoke to his coaches a couple of years ago. They told me his striking level was about a six at that time. This was right before the second fight with Francis Gano. He says, my striking is at about a seven now. He says that his right. striking has improved a little bit, bit since then, which, but again, he's realistic about it. And I also asked him, you know, why don't you go for subs when you're always on the ground? And he goes, my jiu-jitsu used to be purely defensive. He goes, the last year and a half, I've really worked on my offensive jiu-jitsu. So I think that submissions are going to be in my future. So it's good. Like, he's all working right. on his all-around game, and I, I like that. Yeah, I, he's one of those guys I'd like to see because he's that tall frame. Like, he'd be a good jabber, especially someone who can use that range, jab, grapple. Like, I think a jab for for uh, Curtis Blades would be a phenomenal weapon. That's actually one of the weapons he's improved upon the most. If you watch in his most recent fights, he's been throwing that jab a little bit more comfortably, and I think he's done a good job with that. Um, yeah. 
what else do we have on this card? The uh, the co-main event, Tom Aspinall versus Andrei Arlovsky. That's a solid uh, heavyweight fight. Uh, Chris Dawkins against Alexei Olenek. That's uh, another... I, I like what I see from Chris Dawkins. Two first-round finishes in a row. Really fast hands. Um, very light on his feet. He's kind of on the, the low... More more of a Stipe-sized heavyweight, 230-pound range. So um, I like what I've seen from uh, from Chris Dawkins. Now, is the girls fight uh, the co-main event? No, it's the just... Kuniskaya no, no, the co-main is, the co-main is Arlovsky Aspinall. Are you on Best Fight Odds or something? No, I'm on UFC.com. I'm pretty sure Aspinall and Arlovsky is the co-main event. I don't think it's yeah, Vieira Kuniskaya. It just shows second. I was like wondering, like, is there a strategic push? Because, I mean, Grasso and Barber was the co-main event. Uh, I don't know if this is, like, a, a trend that's happening by putting women, like, basically making the women's fights more of a, you know, presence on the card. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I don't know what the uh, the strategy is with that. Um, some other uh, some other really solid uh, fights on this. Uh, Nasruddin Imavov against uh, Phil Haas. I would say you should you should check that one out. I love Nate Landwehr versus Julian Arosa. That's a fun one. Um, Eamon Zahabi is uh, back after yeah. about a year and a half away, taking on Draco Rodriguez. Uh, I spoke to Eamon on the uh, the TSN MMA Show interview edition that's going out today. Uh, it's it's him, Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades. Um, who else did I talk to? Uh, Chris Dawkins, Eamon Zahabi, and uh, Anthony Pretty Boy Taylor I also spoke to, and Julian Marquez. So it's a pretty packed show once again. Uh, so thanks to everybody for supporting that show and for supporting this one. Uh, always appreciate people who rate and review the show. It does uh, yeah. does wonders for us, so uh, we appreciate that. And I always appreciate when you go to uh, the Joseph Valtellini YouTube channel, myself yeah. and Joe, chopping it up lately on that channel. Yeah, we've been talking it up. They've been doing well. People have been enjoying it. So check it out. Make sure. Learn some technique, listen to me talk, and we're good. And do you, we're good to go. You get everything. Do you feel like uh, Jorge Masvidal has a chance in a rematch against Usman even with a full camp and all of that? Do you like? No. Ha, you just no. you don't think he has a chance at all? No. I mean, he, he he has a chance. He's great. He can adapt well, but I just don't think his style um, could do it anymore. He's got those big punches, but I just think the same game plan, that grinding strategy, the Kamaru dominance is still too much. I still would like to fight it because I think Masvidal will bring a good fight with a full camp to be a little bit more. That experience plays a big role in Masvidal's fighting. So I think that little bit of experience, his ability to adapt could give him some time. But I still think Usman's too dominant. I'm trying to think if there's any other news that we're forgetting about. I feel like we I always feel like we missed something. We missed something big. But that, I always like to make sure we end with you telling me a few of the... Uh, did you do your TSN edge picks? Yeah, you, you want to hear my TSN edge picks for this week? Yes, please. All right, let's. Uh, they've been helping. I mean, because last, how did you do last week? You were almost I half did, and half. I did two and two, but if you would have taken all of them, you would have been up. Um, okay. By by a little bit, but not by much. I mean, it's thankfully I don't charge for these picks because then you'd be down if you actually have to pay to get them. But uh, <laughs> I think Aspinall. Do you think Aspinall finishes Arlovsky? I didn't touch that one. I don't know. Okay. Arlovsky's been such a good gatekeeper. You saw him with him beat yeah. Bozer lately. Yeah, but he's Aspinall's so a monster. He's a finisher. Like, he's good hands. Yeah, people like, said the same about Bozer really entering good. that fight. Yeah, true. All right, so TSN Edge picks. Uh, I've got uh, Jared Gordon as an underdog against Danny Chavez, plus 125 Jared Gordon. I'm shocked that he's even an underdog in this spot. I thought that he'd yeah, be a, I was a pretty say big that favorite. Too. Uh, Charles Rosa by decision is plus three fifty. I think Rosa will be able to beat Derek Minner. That's a that's a fun fight, uh, but I think it goes. Would you distance. say plus minus one eighty five? I'm seeing here. No, uh, Charles, Charles Rosa. Rosa. Charles Rosa uh, inside the oh, sorry by decision is a uh, plus three three fifty. Yeah. Okay. I, I think by Rosa decision. wins that fight by decision. Uh, I like Nate okay. Landwehr minus one fifteen. 
Okay. And then I had one more pick. Uh, let me take a look here. Is uh, Zahabi's a, a plus money? Is is that worth looking at? I or think so. Is, uh, Rodriguez really I think tough? I'd like to see what Eamon what what Eamon looks like in his return before I would uh, I would recommend something. Oh, and Chaz Skelly plus one ninety five against Jamal Embers. I like Chaz Skelly in that spot, at plus one ninety five. So those are my four. Okay. You other ones I was them? other ones I was considering were Eamon Zahabi and Phil Haas, but I didn't end up uh, recommending those ones. Should I put my Should I put my mortgage on it? Are we okay? Are you that confident? No, that you confident know the most confident one. I the, the one I'm most confident in is Jared Gordon. I think Jared Gordon at plus one twenty five. Yeah, I agree with is you. Where I'm most confident. I I was just yeah, really surprised that he was an underdog. I think that he's going to be able to take Chavez down and and uh, make his life miserable for three rounds. But we'll uh, we'll have to see if that's the case. All right, there we go. That's our. Uh... Here's your picks. I like it. You 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 uh, have any leans? Anything you uh, you find interesting on this card? I liked I liked Gordon, and my gut was telling me uh, Aspinall. I mean, with a finish because he's a, a minus two forty five, which I think he's he's right there. But I think our I think he finishes Arlovski. I think he gets the finish. Yeah, I, I like Dawkins by knockout. Also, Dawkins by knockout is minus one thirty one thirty or something along those lines. Aspinall by KO is minus one hundred five. If you yeah, like that's not bad. It's basically it's even money. money. Yeah. And I think if he's going to win that fight, chances are that's how it happens. You, you could always safeguard that with Arlovsky by decision if you think that. Arlo- but Arlovsky could also finish Aspinall. Who knows? I mean, Arlovsky, this is head we're talking it. about. I don't see it. I we'll, we'll, we'll find Arlovsky out. by we'll KO see. is plus 920. <laughs> it's heavyweight. <laughs> that might be worth a look. I don't know. He hasn't really been knocking anybody out, though. Yeah. When was you the know? last time Arlovsky got a knockout? Let's take a look. I just feel like all of his fights are just so close decisions lately. Well, let's see. Arlovsky's last knockout. Let's go take a look here. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. It's been Travis oh, Brown. Yeah. at. It was nearly six years ago against Travis Brown, UFC 187. Yeah. He's gone into this boxing, technical boxing style of fighting, which is good, and he's allowing him to have a very long career, but he ain't knocking anybody out. Yeah. Well, who's Aspinall beaten so far in his UFC? He's beaten Alan Badeau. All was first a, round. was a All short round short notice. And Jay Collier, who had moved up from middleweight. So uh, he was big favorites in both of those spots. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe. He's a heavy boxer because um, I've, I've heard people talk about him. He was Tyson Fury's boxing training partner for oh, really? years. I think he trains with Hugh Fury. Like he's uh, he was like a high level pro boxer. Like his hands are very good. Like he, like for to be an MMA and you're you know Tyson Fury's boxing training partner like that that's a, that's a high level you know boxer right there. Yeah, you can so do worse. I think the kid's good. <laughs> yeah, I think the kid's good. Like I'm very high on Aspinall. I really like him. I don't know why his style. He's a finisher. I mean the look, the tattoos. I, I think I think he's going to give a lot of people problems. Saying you're high on Aspinall sounds like uh, sounds like you're on some I'm sort high of drug. On Aspinall, that's it. I'm on some drug. What are you doing? I'm just high on Aspinall. You so know? you're pres- you're prescribing an Aspinall finish uh, for for Saturday. Yeah, I'm prescribing an Aspinall finish. That's the perfect way. There you go. All right, Joe. That's perfect. We'll talk next week. That. That's too good. We'll talk next week. Thanks to everybody who has checked the show out. Uh, we also, of course, have the TSN MMA Show interview edition, uh, as I broke down earlier. Uh, you can get that wherever you find your podcast. Please rate, review the show. We always appreciate that. It helps uh, bring bring new listeners to the show. So uh, thanks, it. Joe, and we'll uh, we'll catch up next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca/ufc.